Psalm 19. It tells us, by the way, that it is to the choir master and a psalm of David. This is the word of God. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings from the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Will you pray with me, friends? Father, this is your word we've read. It is your voice speaking to us. (laughs) And it's your voice speaking to us of your voice. I pray that today we'll hear it and that this text will make us love you and love your word more than we've ever dreamed. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. How can any person with all of our limitations ever come to know the God who made us? An old friend of mine who was a pastor once asked the question, how can we know the unknowable God There is one and only one way that any person on earth ever comes to know God. And it's not that they discover him. It's not that they go find him. It's not that they prove him in a scientific experiment or through philosophical reasoning. No, the only way that any person ever gains knowledge of the God who created us is through revelation. I don't mean the book of Revelation, although that's a fine book. I mean through the revelation of God. You see, the God who made us has chosen graciously to reveal himself to us. Have you ever stopped to imagine how terrible it would be for you to try to live before a God who did not choose for whatever reason to reveal himself to you? Can you imagine how terrible it would be to know that at any moment, in any time, you might sin in the eyes of that God but not know what it was you did or how it is that you are to remedy it? Can you imagine trying to please an invisible, unknowable God by trial and error? How do you think you'd do? 
Not well, right? I want to read to you something. I've read it for some of our folks in the Sunday school class before, but I think this really helps here. This is an ancient prayer found in the library of Ashurbanipal from the 7th century B.C. The title on this is called A Prayer to Every God. And in this prayer, the person seeking the God, any God, believes that he's done something wrong and he's suffering for it. Sadly, however, he lacks some important data that might help him out. So listen as I quote for you an ancient pagan prayer, which is not a normal practice at our church. Let me explain one more thing to you. He's going to ask that this deity who he thinks is mad at him be quieted toward him. And for you who are young and may not know how the, how the word quieted is used there, that means don't be mad at me anymore. Your anger was loud against me. May it be quieted, okay? Here's the ancient pagan prayer. May the God who is not known be quieted toward me. May the goddess who is not known be quieted toward me. May the God whom I know or do not know be quieted toward me. May the goddess whom I know or do not know be quieted toward me. May the heart of my God be quieted toward me. May the heart of my goddess be quieted toward me. May my God and goddess be quieted toward me. May the God who has become angry with me be quieted toward me. May the goddess who has become angry with me be quieted toward me. In ignorance, I have eaten that forbidden of my God. In ignorance, I have set foot on that prohibited by my goddess. O Lord, my transgressions are many, greater my sins. O my God, my transgressions are many, greater my sins. O my goddess, my transgressions are many, greater my sins. O God, whom I know or do not know, my transgressions are many, great are my sins. O goddess, whom I know or do not know, my transgressions are many, great are my sins. The transgression which I have committed, indeed, I do not know. The sin which I have done, indeed, I do not know. The forbidden thing which I have eaten, indeed, I do not know. The prohibited place on which I have set foot. Indeed, I do not know. I want to skip a few lines, okay? How long, O my goddess, whom I know or do not know, ere thy hostile heart would be quieted? Man is dumb. He knows nothing. Mankind, everyone that exists, what does he know? Whether he's committing sin or doing good, he does not even know. Oh, my Lord, do not cast thy servant down. He is plunged into the waters of the swamp, taken by the hand. The sin which I have done, turn it into goodness. The transgression which I have committed, let the wind carry it away. My many misdeeds strip off like a garment. Oh, God, my transgressions are seven times seven. Remove my transgression. Oh, my goddess, my transgressions are seven times seven. Remove my transgression. Oh, God, whom I know or do not know, Oh, my transgressions are seven times seven. Remove my transgressions. Oh, goddess whom I know or do not know, my transgressions are seven times seven. Remove my transgressions. Remove my transgressions and I will sing your praise. What do you think? How would you like that to be your religion? That prayer is sad and it is sad for several reasons, friends. This person is suffering. He knows or thinks he knows that he's done something to incur the wrath of some god or some goddess who may or may not, he, he may or may not actually know. He doesn't know if he went somewhere he shouldn't have gone. He doesn't know if he said something he shouldn't have said. He doesn't know if he's eaten something he shouldn't have eaten. He doesn't know what he must do to be made right. He does not know where to look to find grace or even if that grace is available to him. The sadness and the tragedy of this prayer is that it is a prayer to an unknown deity and it is without out hope thanks 
be to God, we have not been left without information about our creator like the person who's praying that sad little prayer. We have been given the kind revelation of God to tell us that God is, what God is like, what pleases God, and how our sins may be forgiven. And Psalm 19 is one of the best places for you to look in all of the scripture to see just how glorious is the revelation of God. So there are three points we're going to discover today. We're going to look at this psalm to see two kinds of revelation from God, and we'll see the proper human response to God's revelation. And as you follow along, here's what I want you to do. I want you to ask God to help you to sense just how wonderful it is that God has graciously chosen to reveal himself to you and that he has not left you to figure him out for yourself. So point number one, see God's glory in the sky. See God's glory in the sky. Psalm 19 verse 1 begins, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. You all would agree with that, wouldn't you? According to scientists, light travels 5.87 trillion miles in a year. You know what we call that, right? That's a, it's a light year. Very good. Our galaxy, the Milky Way, is about 100,000 light years across, according to the scientists. In our galaxy, they say there are about 100 billion stars. And according to an article I read published in 2016... The universe is estimated to be 93 billion light years across. Or, what would that be? 545.91 billion trillion miles from one edge to the next. Those numbers that are used, and I don't know if the scientists are right or not, I don't care about that, but those numbers boggle the mind, don't they? We lack the capacity to understand numbers like that, distances like that. Well, why would God make such a massive universe? God says the reason the heavens exist is in order to declare for you and me and all peoples through all generations in all of history and in all locations the glory of Almighty God. The sun, moon, stars, clouds, comets, meteors, asteroids, and all the vastness of space is intended to boggle your mind so we would recognize that the universe has been created by an ultimately glorious God. C.H. Spurgeon writes on this topic, quote, It is not merely glory that the heavens declare, but the glory of God. For they deliver to us such unanswerable arguments for a conscious, intelligent, planning, controlling, and presiding creator that no unprejudiced person can remain unconvinced by them. Spurgeon goes on to say, quote, He who looks up to the firmament and then writes himself down an atheist brands himself at the same moment as an idiot or a liar. I didn't say Spurgeon was gentle. 
the Apostle Paul, speaking of divine, under divine inspiration, tells us that not only does the creation show us that God exists, but creation calls you and me to account before God, right? Romans 1, 18 to 20 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. The Bible tells us that no person of any generation in any nation in any period of history has an excuse to live as an atheist because God has given all humanity ample evidence in the creation to, to, to believe that he is, that he exists. And we have a theological term for this. We call it general revelation. General revelation. It's revelation generally available, available to everybody. Psalm 19, then verse 2 through 4, says this. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. So general revelation tells the story for all the world to see that God exists. It speaks without words though every day and every night pours out speech and knowledge but there's no speech there are no actual words used but there is no language in the world where the words of this testimony without words are silent i don't care what language you speak the sky is still over your head and the heavens tell all people everywhere that they are created by a God whose power is unmatched, whose artistry is unparalleled, whose glory is unfathomable. Then David has to get specific. He can't talk about the sky all day long just on its own. So he goes, look at the end of verse 4 to the end of 6. In them, the heavens, he has set a tent for the sun which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them and there is nothing hidden from its heat. So in the heavens, David says, God has pitched a tent for the sun. Every morning we see the sun come forth, bright, strong, cheerful you might not think it feels cheerful at this time of year here but it's supposed to be cheerful David says the rising sun can be compared to a new husband coming out of his room or an athlete running a race with joy and anyone who's ever seen the confident glow on the face of a newly married man those guys that think they're gonna come out of their house and conquer the world for their new brides you get the imagery David's using here he's talking about the sun bright with joy and if anyone's ever watched a marathon runner set a strong steady relentless pace and just triumph over a grueling race 
You can imagine with David that strong, steady pace the sun takes as it traverses the sky every day. David notes that the sun crosses all of the world from one side of the world to the other side of the world and there is no place on the earth that does not receive benefit from its heat. The call, friends, is to see the glory of God in the sky. We Christians ought to be the most enthusiastic stargazers and sunset watchers and cloud shape observers in all the world. But our busier than ever 21st century lives often focus us on screens and not on the heavens that declare for all the world to see the glory of our God. So let's make a little commitment here, friends. Do something, do something so that you might see the glory of God in his creation. Plan to take the time to look at the sky and the stars, the trees, the mountains, the streams, the birds, the squirrels, whatever. Look at the ocean, look at the canyons, whatever you need to see so that you can recognize the glory of God in creation. Turn off your TV. It really has nothing important to tell you. Wouldn't you guys agree? I would tell you to get off your computers, but some people are watching the service right now. You guys keep watching. Put down the smartphone otherwise. Shut the computer off. And get this. I, I want to give you, this is a wild thing. It'll help you know about God. Ready? Go outside. Don't fail to see the glory of God in creation. But let's do more than look and say, wow, that's pretty. Let's think. Study the sun and the moon and the stars. Study for the simple way in which they, without words, point us to the glory of God. You know how big the sun is? You ever think about that? I was on, like, kidsastronomy.com one day because that's my level of science. They said a million planet Earths would fit, si fit inside the sun. And the sun's a little star. That's worth thinking about, guys. Let the testimony of words without words point you to the glory of God. Think about the fact God didn't have to make the sun, moon, and stars. Did you ever think about that before? God could have made our planet a little closed system, right? We could be living inside a giant snow globe and God would have been just fine. He would have been right to do it that way. Why didn't he do it that way? God chose not to do it that way because God chose to create a universe that is so vast and so impressive that even the greatest human mind cannot grasp the limits of the universe, and I'll tell you what, if you're listening to me today and you are somebody who doesn't yet know God, I would urge you to let the skies and the stars and the glory of God and the heavens call you to account because God says you have no excuse to believe he doesn't exist. God made the universe and in doing so, God displayed for all people all the proof your heart needs to believe that there is a God who is over every bit of the universe. Wouldn't you all agree, it's a sad thing that we often miss the glory of God in that general revelation? Yeah? A couple of you agree with that? 
But we also need to recognize that general revelation is not the more important kind of revelation. You might learn that there is a creator because of what you see in the universe, but you will not get to know that creator by looking at the stars. God has not spelled out the gospel in the clouds for you. So you need something more. Like that man who prayed to the God or the goddess whom he knew or did not know. You and I, if we're left only with general revelation, will not know the God who made us. And David understood that fact. And that's why David turns his attention from general revelation here in point one to something even more helpful. And that's going to be found in point number two. And I'll tell you the point is, get to know God in the Bible. Get to know God in the Bible. Look at just verses 7 through 9 here. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Three verses of scripture right there. And if your Bible breaks them down in poetical lines, there are six lines of parallel Hebrew poetry that speak to us of the revelation that you and I need to truly know God. While the heavens declare God's glory, something different, something special is needed for us to truly know Him. We call that special revelation of God. It's revelation that not every person has access to, but that's what David's talking about here. And the revelation of God, the special revelation of God that will give you the ability to know God is now what we would call the Bible. Now my intention is to just sweep through these verses really quickly today. Then we'll look at it in some depth in the next message I preach. But let me show you what it is God wants you and me to know about his word in these verses. The law of the Lord. How many times do you hear that phrase in the Bible, by the way, the law of the Lord? Happens a lot, right? It's an important Hebrew phrase. The word for law there is the Hebrew word Torah. And the word Torah refers to the books that God inspired Moses to write down. The first five books of the Bible are Torah. But the word Torah means more than that. The word literally means teaching or instruction. It's not just law in the sense of all rules all the time. You guys understand that, right? That the books of the law aren't all law? Like, if you read the book of Genesis, how many laws do you read? Not that many, but it's Torah. It's the teaching of God. The fact that the law, the written down word of God, is the law of the Lord tells us that God, the covenant-making, covenant-keeping God of Adam and Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, the nation of Israel, and David, that God is the God whose word, whose law, whose teaching we're talking about here. So anything here said about the Torah, anything here said about the law of God actually is applicable 
to the Bible as a whole. And I could show you that if we had time. We're not going to take that time here the, this afternoon, but you can see that that word is clearly used simply to refer to the inspired, written-down, special revelation of God. So when we're talking about this, we're talking about the Bible, the written word of God, as the revelation of God. Well, we have six lines here, and there are six words that are used for the written-down revelation of God. What are they? Well, we'll look in a minute. There are also six descriptions of that revelation and six functions of that revelation. So six words for the revelation of God, six descriptions of the revelation of God, six functions of the revelation of God. And with every line, we keep seeing that these are the written words of God. David calls the written revelation of God what? The law, the testimony, the precepts, the commandments, the fear, and the rules of the Lord. The Bible is the specifically given teaching, instruction, and rules for life that God gives to us. David also says that the word of God is, description, perfect, sure, right, pure, clean, and true. The word of God, as it was written down by men under the inspiration of God, is perfect, without any flaw, without any error. It is complete. It is sure. It has no doubt. It has no uncertainty. It is always right. It is always pure. It is always unblemished. It is always true in every respect. God did not inspire a faulty or incomplete or insufficient or untrustworthy word. David also says that the word of God has six impacts on our lives when we look into it and obey it. He says that it will revive the soul, make wise the simple, rejoice the heart, enlighten the eyes, endure forever, be righteous altogether. And we want all of those things to happen. And if you put all this together, what you learn is that God is not merely revealed to us that he exists, but God has actually revealed himself to us and he did it in his written word torah first teachings of the of the prophets later new testament later everything that we would call the bible it is the revelation of god to man and it is absolutely perfect complete and sufficient in every possible way it impacts our lives it brings us into communication with and relation to our creator yeah, the heavens do declare for us the glory of God, and it's wonderful. But they do not do all the things that were just said about the word of God. They let you know that God's there. They let you know maybe that you're guilty before him, but the heavens do not lead you to know God. They don't enable you to know God. And let's also remember that there is nothing else out there that helps you to, to get to know God either. The philosophies, the sciences, the arts of the world can hint to you some things about God, but none of them will lead you to know God. Neither will any of them help you to follow God. Only the written down word of God is what will do that, and that written down word of God reveals God to you and leads you to follow him perfectly. And now let's look to see what the child of God should feel about this perfect word of God. I like this passage, guys. Look at verses 10 and 11. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. So verse 10 says God's word is more precious than the most precious treasure and sweeter than the sweetest pleasure. God's words are worth more than gold, than 
much gold, then much fine gold. That's, that's worth a lot, right? No price on earth could ever be set to match the value to us of the perfect revelation of God in God's principles, in God's word. Nothing can compare to the infinite value of God showing us how we can know him and relate to him and be forgiven by him. Also, the words of God are sweet, sweeter than honey, even that from the honeycomb. So I need you to imagine right now I want you to think of the richest chocolate. How many of you want chocolate right now? See, either you, you, you don't, or maybe you do. I don't know how you work. Think of, if you're not a chocolate person, are any of you not chocolate people, by the way? Okay, I don't understand you, but I, I, I understand you exist. How about the freshest, like just perfect strawberries? Would that do it? Okay, strawberries, cheesecake, ice cream. I, I have some, I have some, um, what is it, Mitzi? The cinnamon swirl. Uh, oh, yeah, I have Chiro ice cream at home. That sounds good right now, actually. Mid-afternoon, we should have ice cream at church. Um, think of whatever the, the, the sweetest, most wonderful treat you can think of for yourself. The best food you can imagine. The words of God in the Holy Bible are sweeter by far. That's what the psalm says. In the mouth of a child of God, his words are glorious to savor. The pages of this sacred book contain for you the sweet communication to you from the God who created you and loves you and saved you and created the heavens to show you his glory. Then verse 11 tells us that the words of God also warn us. They keep us from the dangers of sinning before our holy God. And in keeping God's word, following it, loving it, there is great reward. We look to God so that we can see where we might be heading in the wrong direction. And we allow the word of God to guide us away from danger and into right, wonderful, joyful living that leads to ultimate and eternal reward. So yes, general revelation, the heavens declaring the glory of God, that is some good stuff. I'm glad God gave it to us. But nothing compares with the precious gift of God's perfect word. You might know that God exists from what you can discover in nature or science or philosophy, but you will never know God or please God without God's holy and inspired and perfectly written word. You can never know God. You will never please God without doing so in direct relationship to the Bible. So come to love God's word and give your heart to knowing God through it. And listen to me, that means you in your life, need to have time in the Word. If all you do, if the only time you're in the Word is when you let somebody else chew it up for you, you're not getting enough. All right. When you come to know God's Word, you're going to be called to respond to the Lord who has revealed himself in the heavens and in the book. And that response we'll see quickly in point number three. Let the revelation of God lead you to obedience. Let the revelation of God lead you to obedience. 12 through 14 say, Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. 
Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Who can discern his errors? David asks, who truly knows his own heart? Who truly knows all that is right or wrong in his or her own soul? And the understood answer here is that no one knows their own heart. And no one can discern their own errors or right living apart from the word of God. Without the scriptures, you and I would be like the man who prayed the prayer to every God. We'd never know when we've said, eaten, or walked on something that might earn for us the wrath of the unknown deity. David's realization here that he does not even know on his own his own errors, along with his understanding that the word of God is God's perfect revelation of himself and his statutes that leads David to pray what we see in the final verses here. He asks God, God, please declare me innocent. Please forgive me from hidden sin. David knows if he looks into the perfect word of God that David has failed to live up to God's commands in a thousand ways. Some of the ways that he's failed he knows about and some of the ways he doesn't even know about yet. So he asks God, Lord, please give me grace. He asks God, Lord, please count me guilty of my, and not guilty of my hidden flaws. Because David says, I can't even discern that. And David has confidence because of what God has revealed in his word that God has made a way for him to be forgiven of all of his sin. Then David asks God, please protect me. He says to God to hold him back from presumptuous sin. He is asking God, God, please hold me back from arrogantly crossing the line and committing great transgressions. He asks God, please keep those kinds of sins from ruling over me, from having dominion over me. Because David knows that once you begin to sin boldly before God, those sins can conquer your life and enslave you to their destructive power but if God would hold him back, if God would guard him through the guarding and protecting power of God's holy word, then David will be innocent of presumptuous, arrogant, bold, insolent sins. So God is telling you in his word, while you might regularly need to be forgiven of things you didn't even see in your life until God reveals them, you can, as God's children who obey God's word, you can be freed from boldly crossing the line and breaking God's commandments. And that means that if you become a Christian, if you follow the Lord God in his word, you are freed, no longer a slave to sin. And David closes with a beautiful prayer in verse 14. He asked that his words and his thoughts, the things he says, the things that are just deep in his mind, they would be pleasing to God. He's asking that God would help him to please God in every aspect of life. And let me point out that that desire can only be rightly prayed after somebody understands the glory of God's revelation and God's holy word. The holy word of God, which in Hebrews 4.12 tells us the word of God reveals the thoughts and intentions of our hearts. For you and me here, the call is simple. God's word reveals to you his ways and his commands. It shows us that our hearts are tricky and deceptive and full of hidden faults. 
And we need to ask God to forgive us of those, but also to show us as we study the word where those flaws are so that we might repent of them. We also can ask God to aid us in staying away from presumptuous sins, those, those things we know, we know they dishonor God, but we want to do them anyway. And we have the confidence that by God's power and through God's holy word, we will have the ability to resist such temptation. Then, as we examine ourselves in the light of God's word, we cry out with David, begging God to help our words and our thoughts be pleasing to him in every way. God, our rock and our salvation. Praise God that God has revealed his glory in the heavens. Never let that gorgeous picture of the power of God pass you by. Never lose the wonder what you can see of God's glory in general revelation. But praise God even more for God's written word, his special revelation. Because even more wondrous than the sky and the billions upon billions upon trillions of miles of universe, even more glorious than that, the Bible reveals to us who God is and what God commands us to be and do. The Bible helps us come to know God, to be forgiven by God, and to see our own hearts for the deceitful little things that they are. And it is through God's graciously given word that we can seek forgiveness for hidden flaws and step back from intentional sin and seek that everything we think or say or do would become pleasing to the God who made us, who loves us, who saves us. So yes, love the God whose glory you can glimpse in the sky and love the God whose ways are written in his word and thank God for both of those ways of revealing himself to you and follow him according to his word and treasure his word and seek to please him in everything that you do. And if you know, if you know that today you need the forgiveness of this God whose standards you've never met, he tells you how to have that forgiveness too. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Confess your sin, repent, ask for God's forgiveness, and entrust your very soul to Jesus. Because all who genuinely come to Jesus in faith and repentance are saved. And all who are saved begin new lives following Jesus according to the glorious revelation of God. Let's pray together, please. Father, even now, I thank you again for your word. What a treasure. And Father, even now, I confess again my deep need for it. I pray for every person who heard this message that they would find life and joy and a growing commitment to and love for your word. Lord, only you can make this work in our hearts. Please do it. God, let us be those who trust you 
who follow you in accord with your word. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen.